Okay, we, uh, we are in a series uh, as a church that we just started last week. It's a series in the Gospel of Mark in the Bible. And we are calling this series Jesus, Con or King. So this morning we're actually going to be getting into the text itself. Last week I did a bit of an overview, a bit of, a, a bit of an introduction. Uh, but to start us off this morning in this, I'm just going to invite Kate to come up and she's going to read uh, the first verses of Mark chapter 1. Alright, so Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Kate. Let's just pray together again. God, I thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that you have not chosen to stay silent. Thank you that you speak uh, through your word uh, that we've just heard read. Thank you that ultimately you've spoken through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that he would be seen, that he would be known through what is shared this morning. Pray that each of us would uh, leave this place knowing more of Jesus, knowing the love that you've shown us through him, the grace that you've shown us through him. Holy Spirit, I just invite you right now just to come and and to do what it is that you do. You, You point people to Jesus. You make much of him. So would you come and do that right now in this place? I pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. There are a few movies that uh, if you watch the very beginning of the movie, the end of the movie gets given away. I don't know how many of you uh, are, are good, good, well-behaved hipsters and love Back to the Future. If you're a hipster, you've got to love Back to the Future. Absolutely the best film trilogy ever made. Uh, right now on Netflix, there is, a, uh, there is a documentary called About Time that is actually about Back to the Future. I think it actually has the same name as that other film, About Time. Um, and I was watching it, I watched a little bit more of it last night, and it's just fascinating the way that people, like, people buy DeLoreans, they uh, put thousands of dollars in them to soup them up, there's fan clubs, all this sort of thing. People really, really committed to this. But one of the interesting things about Back to the Future is that if you're watching the first one, uh, the very ending of the film is actually done in miniature at the very beginning. Does anybody remember that sequence that I'm, that I'm talking about? So if you just watch the very beginning of it, you actually know what's going to be happening uh, towards the end of it. That's not the only film that does that uh, as well. I don't know how many of you are into uh, Skyfall, you know, the James Bond uh, movies that come out, but uh, the latest one, Skyfall. We know at the very beginning of Skyfall that who is going to die? Anybody? M. That's right. Only, uh, only one James Bond fan in here. My goodness, I think the rest of you are hiding it. Definitely. How about Forrest Gump? 
Everybody here has seen Forrest Gump. So you know at the very beginning of Forrest Gump, he kind of, as, as, as uh, that character, kind of as a kid, okay? Tom Hanks' character as a kid, he's, he's running and he's doing all of these sorts of things, but then as you continue to watch the rest of the film, uh, you see that this is actually the story that's going to be told ahead of you. When we open up Mark's Gospel that we're in right now, and that we're uh, starting off on this series in, essentially the same type of thing is happening, because Mark starts by saying this. This is Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're asking this question, Jesus, is he, is he king? Is he actually who uh, these people of old believed that he would be, this promised Messiah that would come? Or was he a con? Was he a trickster? Or did his followers just kind of make him into some sort of trickster? Mark is saying really, really clearly, right at the very beginning, look, I want you to know where I stand on that question. Who is Jesus? Well, Mark is saying this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is not holding very much back at all at the very beginning. But then Mark shifts, and he takes us into some older parts of the Bible. He starts quoting some older prophets. The Bible is kind of is made up of two big sections, okay? The first really big chunk, probably 65 or 70% of it, is called the Old Testament, okay? It was written long before the New Testament, as you can imagine. And then the second part of the Bible is, is the New Testament. Well, some of the books in the Old Testament are, are essentially prophecies. God speaking through people. And Mark helps draw back some of those prophecies. And he starts talking about how it was prophesied that somebody would come and would say that Jesus was going to be following them. So he goes back and he starts talking about prophecies from Isaiah and from Micah, talking about John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who would show up and he would be preparing the way. He would be saying that there is somebody that is going to be coming after him, who is this promised Messiah, who is this promised Savior. That's how Mark starts off his gospel. That's how he starts off this, this letter. So then, after talking about these prophecies, John appears. Now, John the Baptist is a strange guy. I don't know how many of you know anything about him, really, but he's a very peculiar guy. He's, he's, he's wearing strange clothing. He eats super strange food. And he's there proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, saying that he is going to be coming after him. Now, John the Baptist was baptizing people in water, but he says that there's going to be somebody coming after him whose sandals he's not even fit to untie. He says, I baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And what I want to spend most of our time on this morning, as we go through this, this next part of our series, is what is meant by that? What is meant by being baptized in the Holy Spirit? That can be a very confusing idea. It can be something that we can hear and go, well, that, that, being baptized in water, I understand what that might mean. But being baptized in the Holy Spirit, that seems really, really strange. That seems peculiar. I, don't, I, I, I struggle to kind of get my head around that. And to tell you a bit about this, I want to uh, tell you a little bit of my own story. So, uh, I grew up in Fredericton, uh, Fredericton, New Brunswick, capital city of New Brunswick, quite a ways east of here. I grew up in a private school, okay, a private Christian school. And Matt, if we could uh, get this, uh, this little uh, helpful, helpful graphic up here. Let's go for it. Let's not be afraid. Doesn't that just warm your heart? This is me. 
probably nine or ten years old. The glasses, those glasses have come back in fashion, I would like to say. Okay, I've actually recently started um, combing my hair back like the old school days, literally old school days, all right? And uh, thank you for laughing at that joke, Emily, that's very good. Okay, so this is me, I'm like nine or ten years old, right? And I'm in this private Christian school, um, it's in the basement of this, of this church, not like a dungeon or anything like that, but there's about 100 or 150 students down there. Okay, and I remember, like, like, look what I'm wearing, okay, I've got my red tie, I've got my white shirt, I, I would have been wearing uh, my, my, my blue kind of dress, dress pants, dress trousers, and uh, this is what I wore on Wednesdays because at this school this is what you had to wear on Wednesdays because on Wednesdays we had chapel services and when we had chapel services you had to dress in your chapel best and basically we walked around looking like little American flags the irony was was quite uh, keen for me because it was red, white and blue just kind of all over so there we were we were going to these chapel services and every single Wednesday when I was at these chapel services I was hearing um, essentially about a God who loved me because he had to love me but didn't really like me he didn't really like me there were things in my life that I just had to get sorted out. There were ways that I was living, even as a kid, that if I thought certain things or did certain things or looked at certain things or behaved in certain ways, well, that, that, that just, that, that not only did that mean that God didn't like that behavior, but it really meant that God didn't like me. That's kind of what I grew up with. So I grew up with this idea that God was very distant. And because he had kind of made this agreement with me and he had made this agreement with humanity that if I, that if I believed in Jesus, then he would have to love me for that. John 3.16, I, I believed that with all of my heart. But even still, I didn't think that he liked me. And I certainly didn't think that he was close. He was a distant God who did what a distant, did things that a distant God would do. But I was there on earth as a kid living my life and really, God was constantly looking at me with disapproval. And he certainly wasn't very close. That's the impression that I grew up with of God. Not just as a young child, but all the way through my teenage years, really into my 20s. Was that God was this God who was very distant. And he might have loved me, but he certainly didn't like me very much. See, here's the thing. As we go through the Bible, as we understand God in his character for who he really is, we come to understand a God who doesn't just love us, although that's an amazing thing, he likes us as well, and he wants to be close to us as people that he has created. Very, very, very close to us. God's desire has always been that he would be close to his people. Now let me just pause and say here quickly, you might be here thinking, well, this is all interesting, but I, I don't... I'm just kind of checking this out. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Where does, where does God stand with me on that? I'll talk about that a little bit later on in the service. But really quickly, let me say this. This doesn't exclude you from what I'm saying because you can step into this this morning. You can surrender your life to Jesus this morning. And this God who may look and see things in your life and in my life that are sinful and there's a penalty for that. There's a price that needs to be paid. One of two things is going to happen. Either you will pay that price yourself at some stage or by faith you will accept that Jesus has paid that price fully for you. So even if you're here this morning and you're thinking, okay, well you're telling me your story about kind of being a Christian kid, but I'm not here this morning and, and that's not even me, still, still stay tuned in, okay? Because you can step in, into that even for the very first time here this morning, even here today. 
I want to draw us back to some verses in the Bible that kind of show us the way things that used to, uh, used to be in terms of the way that God related with His people. This is from Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. It says this, And the Lord went before them, this is before His people, okay, at that time uh, the people of Israel, the Israelite nation. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God, at that time, was with His people, but He wasn't super, super close. He was still showing them grace. He was still leading them, but He wasn't super, super close to them. He was in a pillar of fire. He was in cloud. He was, he was distant in that way. And as you keep reading in the Old Testament, you can find out where the glory of God dwelled as well in, uh, in, 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 the, in the Ark of the Covenant, okay? In this beautiful, beautiful, kind of majestic, ornate box. But only certain people could be around it. Only the high priest could only go near it. Only people of, 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 of the, the Levit- Levitical tribe, only certain priests that were allowed to carry it could be near it. And if other people got too close, and if they even dared to touch it, the consequences would be huge. So again, we get this picture of a, of a God who's, who's not super, super, super far off, but He's not as close as His desire is to be. But God then starts speaking through the prophets, saying, I'm going to get closer. Let's look at these verses. This is from Joel. This is from Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It says this, And it will come to pass afterwards that I will pour my Spirit out on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. This is what God's speaking through this prophet. He's saying that the Spirit of God is going to be poured out in such a way that even servants... Now remember, in that culture, the servants would have been the lowest of the low. I know language in our culture around that makes us feel uncomfortable. Okay, this is not advocating a position of like slavery and abuse and that sort of thing. Okay, don't uh, be, be hesitant to let your mind go there. The point that is being made here is that God's Spirit will be poured out on all. There are no conditions kind of being given as to whether or not somebody is a master or a slave or rich or poor or black or white or anything of the sort. God's Spirit will be poured out on all. And then if we just go back a few pages to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25, God speaks again saying what the Holy Spirit will do. It says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be cleaned from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Listen to this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and uh, the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. God's desire is that he would be close to his people. That through his Holy Spirit, not just that he would be ahead of them or behind them, but that he would dwell in them. My entire upbringing was 
uh, one that just left me thinking that God at best, if I super, super needed him, might show up in that moment. He might lead me in a decision in a certain moment. He might lead me in a life choice in a, in a moment. But only if I really, really, really called out to him. And only if I really, really, really did all the right things and all the right behavior. I never knew that God's desire was actually to come and to take up residence inside of me. To be that close to me that he lived in me by his Holy Spirit. See, God's love for us is so great that in order for him to come and to have community with us, to have relationship with us, in order for him to come and to be as close to us as he wants to be, something massive needed to happen to us. Because if we stayed in our normal selves, our original state, how could a perfect and holy God come and live in me? How is that possible? How could He, how could he retain His holiness? If He just came and lived in my life with all the things that I do wrong, all the ways that I deny Him, forget all of that stuff. What about just the sin that I'm born into? What about the stuff that my parents and grandparents and people that have gone before me that they have done that have consequences on me? All of this stuff that is in me, a lot of it is my fault, my decisions. Some of it's not even my fault or my decisions. It's just the effect of sin in the world around me and on me. How can a perfect and holy God come and take up residence inside of me if I'm like that? He can't. He wouldn't. Because His holiness would be compromised. So something drastic needs to take place inside of us in order for us to be suitable for the God of the universe, the perfect and holy God over all creation to come and to live inside of us. And these verses that I've just read say what that is. These verses from Ezekiel, they say this, and I will give you a new heart. Oh my goodness. There is so much Christian teaching out there about having a better heart about having an improved heart. You can go to a Christian bookstore in this city. I'm I'm new to the city. I don't know where they are yet. But you can go and probably look at a few of the shelves and you will find books that tell you how to be a better you, how to live a better life, how to think better, how to, how to love better, how, how, to, how to better, 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 how to have a better heart. And God says, no, what is needed for you is something more drastic than that. I am actually going to take the heart that is in you and I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to give you a completely new heart. This is not about improving you. This is not about improving you. This is about the old you being put to death. And a new you being raised with Christ. That's the gospel. That is how significant of a work needs to happen to us. Oh, so are you saying then behavior doesn't matter? How we live doesn't matter? No. I'm telling you it does matter. But not for the reasons that you might think it does. It matters because you've got a new heart now. How could you not live like that? Your new heart is pumping blood through you. It, 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 it's, it's new in every single way. The way that you think has changed. The way that you have the motives for different things has changed. The way that you put yourself first, that, that's the old self. And now there's, this, now there's this new self. So does our behavior matter? Yeah, it does. But it doesn't matter in terms of our acceptance before God. Because that's something that God does through Jesus. Our behavior matters in the sense of, I have a new heart. I'm different now. My motivations have changed. It's a heart that God has put inside of me that beats for Him and no longer just beats for me and for all of my selfish desires. You're here and you're thinking, well, that's not my life. Well, let me tell you this. That's not perfect for me either. There's some days I get this better than others. I assure you of that. This is a work of restoration. This is a work that God does in us. 
continually if you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus. But what I want to talk about is the power through which that happens, okay? What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? This is what it means. It means that God puts His Holy Spirit in you and imparts power in you to live a life that is honoring to Him. Remember those verses that I read from Joel just a couple minutes ago, okay? This is talking about your heart being changed, but to the point where God is empowering you to walk in His statutes. So how do you do it? Do you go to the Christian bookstore? Do you read all of the stuff? Do you listen to all the podcasts and everything else? Well, some of that might help. But how do you live the Christian life? How do you live a life that is honoring to God? You invite the Holy Spirit to come and do a work in you. And as the Holy Spirit does that work, the way that you live your life will change. And I want to look at a few different ways, quickly, three different ways that when you're baptized in the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of you, that the Holy Spirit empowers us. The first one in this is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to preach the Gospel. The Holy Spirit empowers us to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. It will always be on our lips. You just won't be able to help it. There will be times when you're around friends and you're around family and it will, just, it will just come out of you, this hope, and you'll feel the boldness. Remember this story about Peter. Peter was this man who denied Jesus three times, but then some 50 days later, after the Holy Spirit comes and falls on him and on all these people, Peter is then there and he's preaching this amazing, amazing sermon in Acts 2. And 3,000 people are added to the church in one day. This is Peter. He used to be the coward. And now he's just filled with this boldness. When the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's a boldness that will come onto you. Will it look exactly like it did with Peter? No, probably not. It might be more gradual. Maybe it will be like that. I don't know. But you will find that there's a boldness that comes into you. Another thing is this, you'll be able to speak at times, if God gives you the gift of prophecy, the words of God. Let me just do a quick aside here. As a church, we want this place and we want the front of our room to be a place where God speaks. So if during our services you're here and you're thinking, I really feel like God is saying something to me for somebody specific in this room. If I'm hosting the service or if somebody else is hosting the service, I want you to come and let me know. I want you to come and let us know because this is a place where God is speaking. And that could be something that the Bible talks about as a word of knowledge. It could be God has told, uh, this is only an example, I'm not doing this right now, I don't feel that God has said this to me right now, but it could be, uh, I feel that God has told me that there's somebody here uh, by the name of so-and-so, it could be that specific, there's this situation that is happening in your life, and God wants you to know that He is your Father, and that He loves you, and to trust Him in this situation. And 1 Corinthians 14 talks about this in a way where when that happens, there can be times when the secrets of somebody's hearts can be exposed, when a specific thing is said, and they fall on their face glorifying God, saying, surely God is among you. We should crave those moments in our services. But let me tell you this, God isn't going to speak through you that way unless you're baptized in the Spirit, because that's God speaking through you. He needs to have taken residence up inside of you. Now what about things like speaking in tongues? What about healing? Is Rich saying that if you are baptized in the Spirit, you will prophesy? No, that's not what I'm saying like in the front of the room. I'm not saying that if you're baptized in the Spirit, you will speak in tongues. It can be this very confusing thing of another language that the Bible talks about. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God, having taken up residence inside of you, will speak through you in various ways. It may not be through a big word of knowledge at the front of the room. It might be 
that it might be in a word of encouragement to a friend or to a family member, just even saying, look, God loves you and He is for you. You will become a channel for God's blessing. That leads me to the second thing, power to heal. Mark ends his gospel in Mark chapter 16 by talking about how the disciples and these early apostles, they went out, they went out preaching the word and signs and wonders accompanied them. And we can hear that and we can think, oh, well, that's just, that's just for the, you know, the early apostles, these amazing, amazing men. No, 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 no. That's for you and me as well. Jesus has given us an authority. We've prayed as a church for people to receive healing. In some things, we've seen that. In some small things, we've also prayed in some big things. We've not seen it yet, but I'll tell you, we're going to keep praying. We are going to keep praying because we believe that God is a healing God and that He heals today. If you're here this morning and there's something that you know that you need healing for, let us know. Don't walk it on your own. If you're in a life group, we have these groups that meet through the week, let your life group know. Let them stand with you in this and serve you in this. But part of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is being given power for healing as well. And God gives different graces in that. Some people can feel they've got a real gift of healing. You know, you can read about different people like uh, Smith Wigglesworth and funny name, but just some incredible, incredible stories that this, this, this guy did. Some other people that have remarkable gifts of healing, okay? Maybe that's you, maybe it's not. That's okay, but I tell you this. If you're baptized in the Spirit, God will use you for healing. As to what scale and what level and how that'll be, well, that's for God to determine. But God will use you to bring healing. And the third thing that I want to say in terms of power that comes when the Holy Spirit uh, is given and when you're baptized in the Spirit is power to serve. All right, Power to serve. Because the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 talks about this, the Holy Spirit brings an assurance, an assurance of, of who we are in Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are sons of God. This is a city that is uh, so caught up in, in false identities. Natalia was out for, uh, out for a drink last night with some friends, and she was telling me this morning that they, one of the things that they were talking about, this isn't gossip, don't worry, if you were out with her, don't, you don't need to be afraid. <laughs> Jasmine's like, or not Jasmine, Janica's like, where is he going with this? <laughs> That's not what I'm doing. But one thing that Natalia was telling me that they were talking about is in different workplaces, sometimes in this city, in government-type roles, people will introduce themselves as, and you guys might need to help me out, but hi, my name's so-and-so, and I'm, I'm like, uh, not, not a salary level, but like a, a, an experience level. Or something like that. Is that right? Somebody give me an example of like an experience level. Like ECO5. ECO5. I like Chinese to me. Okay. I don't know if that's actually. Okay. Some sort of label like that. Yeah. Okay. But do you guys get what I'm saying? Like to me, it's just completely a different language. But for many people in the city, it's, it's kind of a, an understood currency. But Natalia was telling me this, and we were talking about it. Like that is so fascinating that even early in conversations, that people would just would just kind of hook that to their identity. This is who I am. Hi, my name's Rich, and this is the level that I'm at in terms of my skill and experience, and I'm going to essentially tell you within five or ten grand what my salary level is. Hi. <laughs> that's strange. But that's, that's how it operates in this city. And it's based on kind of qualifications and things that we've done, things that we've earned, money that we make, university degrees that we have. The gospel comes in and says to this, you know what, before a perfect and holy God, you know what, none of that matters. It doesn't matter. Your master's degree, PhD degree, your salary, your cottage, your boats, all of that stuff, none of these things are bad things, but they're not enough to earn your acceptance before a perfect and holy God. But what Jesus Christ has done for you is, and if you receive that by faith, then you are fully accepted by Him and you are adopted in as a son or a daughter of God. 
And the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit, Romans 8, that that is who we are. Because there are times when we just don't feel it. Oh, where's the job? Where's the relationship? Where's the health? God, you're supposed to be for me. Is this how you would treat a a, a son that you love? A daughter that you love? In those moments, we so need God to help us know who we are in Him. And we should be encouraged that the Holy Spirit does that, comes and testifies that we are sons of God. And that frees us from all of these other things that we can pursue for our identity. And what it frees us to do, among many other things, is to serve. It means that I can serve you. It means that I can serve you. Because I don't have to be going out trying to build all of the things that I want to do to get my identity totally wrapped up in because my identity isn't secure. So I'm free to serve. Why wouldn't I serve? I know exactly who I am before God. That's not going to shift at all. So I'm free to be a channel of His blessing to others. When you're baptized in the Spirit, there's a power that comes on you to serve. Let me finish by saying this. When I was growing up, there was a guy who's the father of a friend of mine um, who we were all afraid of. I played Little League with this kid, and his dad would be the guy that would be in the stands, and he would be yelling at his kid, pitch the ball faster, bat the ball harder, run, 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 run. He was that guy. Some of you that grew up playing Little League know that guy in the stands, okay? I remember there was like a 16-year-old umpire behind the plate one game. And this guy, my friend's dad, like reduced this umpire to tears. This 16-year-old umpire had to kick him out of the game. Like it was horrible to watch. I remember being a kid watching this. And and at that time in my life, not thinking that critically, but I was then thinking like, this is bad. Like you don't do that. I shouldn't do that. But I wasn't going to say anything. This guy was huge. You know, he's my friend's dad that we were all kind of terrified. But here's the interesting thing is he went to the church that I was at. You know, he was there. He would say that he was a Christian. If I'm honest with you, I think he probably was. I think he probably believed that Jesus Christ was the only way to have a relationship with God. But he was a hard man. Oh my goodness, he was a hard man. He spoke harshly to his wife. He spoke harshly to his kids. And we were really, really scared of this guy. January 25th, 2007, my mother passed away uh, with cancer. And I remember this guy coming to our front door. I had flown home from England. And I remember him coming to our front door with, some, with a lasagna. <laughs> Sad that I remember the food that he actually made. Okay, I remember him coming to the front door with lasagna. And he was broken. And he was broken because he and his wife were friends with my parents. But his worldview... His perspective had been shattered because as far as he was concerned, bad things like this don't happen to good people. And as far as he was concerned, my mother was a good person. And certainly by worldly standards, my mother was a good person. But he was totally broken. And it was interesting watching the weeks that would follow because he was, his heart began to soften. He began to become a bit more compassionate with people around him. He began to realize that the way that he saw things and the way that the world should operate in his mind wasn't necessarily the way that it was according to God's word. He began to understand something about grace. And I'm convinced that at that time, God was starting to prep him for heart transplant surgery. That that's really what was starting to happen. This man who used to look at people who were poor and impoverished in our city, he used to look at immigrants and would have harsh, harsh comments for them. His language started to change. He started to show compassion. The business that he owned, which was highly profitable, 
when the church decided to wanted to do a huge fundraising drive, he would, he would rigidly give his 10% to the penny because that's what a good Christian should do. But his heart began to soften and he started becoming incredibly generous. He actually ended up being the single greatest donor to the building drive uh, that that church did in that city. God was prepping him for heart transplant surgery and was filling him with the Holy Spirit. And he is a changed man today. Does he have challenges still today? Absolutely. Does he get it wrong today still? Absolutely. So do I. But God was doing a work of change in his heart. What I want us to do right now, I'll invite, uh, I'll invite Meg and Holly to come. You guys come and get set up. I know you've got to set the phone up there as well with, um, with the app. <laughs> but what I want us to do for the remainder of our time that we have this morning, I want us to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to do a work on our hearts this morning. We're a bit of a smaller crew this morning. It's Thanksgiving Sunday. But this is an excellent opportunity in our bigger living room right now to come and to say, Holy Spirit, would you come and do a work in me? If you know that you're here and you think, yes, I'm, I'm hearing what, what Rich is saying. I know I've been filled with the Spirit. Then, you know what? Ask Him to come and fill you again. It doesn't have to be a one-off thing. Spirit, I want more of you. Come and keep doing this work in me. If you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? That's me. That's me. I can be so harsh with people. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, all of these different things. You can think, that, that's not evident in my life. Jesus, I believe you're the only way to God, but like all of these other things, these fruits of the Spirit, these evidences of the Spirit's in my life, I just don't have them. Why don't you pray right now, even for the first time, Holy Spirit, come and do a work in me. I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but I, I want a life that is marked by these things that you do in me, not that I try to do totally on my own and in myself. Come and do this work in me. And then the third type of person that might be here today might be the one who's hearing all of this and hearing about Jesus for the very first time thinking, I don't know this man, but I hope you might be thinking, I want to know him. As we worship, as we sing, think about what you've heard. Think about the lyrics that we've sung. And if you want to this morning, all you have to do is just invite him. Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I believe that you are the only way to God. Just come into my life right now and do what you want to do. I surrender my life to you. I believe you are who you said you are. I believe that you are king. You can pray that right now. You don't even have to use my exact words. Pray it in your heart. Surrender your life to him right now. If that's you as well. Why don't we stand together? Not because this is a weird religious thing, but it does sometimes help us focus. If you're comfortable with it, would you just close your eyes around the room? And also, if you're comfortable with it, and only if, sometimes it's helpful just to put your hands out, just like I am. This isn't some sort of weird churchy thing that we do because people look at us and go, oh, they're so holy, they've got their hands out. (laughs) It doesn't matter. But physically, sometimes it can just help saying, God, I'm, I'm open to what you want to do. I'm open to it. And just by opening up your hands, I I don't know about you, sometimes I find even in my mind, I feel I can even be more open to what he wants to do. Holly and Meg are going to lead us. We're going to sing. I'll come back in a few minutes and lead us into communion. But let's let the Holy Spirit come and do what the Holy Spirit does, pointing us to Jesus, pointing us to the grace shown to us by Jesus. This gift of the Holy Spirit I've been speaking about, it's a gift of grace, guys. It's a gift of grace. You cannot earn Him. 
You can't earn Him. All you can do is receive Him. It's a free gift available to you.